2: Well, hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the dancing Brian Fromm. It's Thanksgiving week, man. It is Thanksgiving I'm so excited. You find any reason to dance, and I really appreciate that about you. Thank you. I had no idea what reason you were going to give, but I knew you had one. Turkey and stuffing. (laughs) Can I just say, unpopular opinion, turkey Maybe the most overrated meat of all time. That is unpopular. It is unpopular. I are you not, a big turkey fan? I am. You are.
0: I like turkey. Now I do it's not high like to the nostalgia. It's got to be. Mm, good question. That's a good point. <laughs> Because do I like, tur- like, would I go to a restaurant, like, in July and get turkey? Probably Have you not. Ever. Yeah, probably not. One You know, on occasion where you're, like, one of those family restaurants, like, oh, they're serving turkey and stuffing and gravy. But <laughs> it's a good point. I mean, on Thanksgiving, I'll eat, I'll eat a ton of it. But you're making a good point in July going to a restaurant, mm-hmm. if I could choose a burger or turkey or steak, I'm probably
2: turkeys at the bottom of that list. Yeah, but maybe you also wouldn't get eggnog in July, though. And I legitimately love eggnog. Another unpopular opinion. Eggnog, no good. Oh, uh, we are going to fight (laughs) it's time to duke it out i made this i made this joke yesterday uh i'm sure i just got it from a meme or something it said uh this week is thanksgiving week so uh just a reminder to turn your scales back 15 pounds <laughs> so the, the week of sweatpants is um, upon us which uh, i'm awesome. excited about all right so uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later we have all sorts of wonderful interviews yeah. this week and uh, i cannot wait for you guys to learn from uh, daniel yang and al smith and uh, austin anderson and my buddy charles from uh, from kenya it's just going to be i think a remarkable week but i want to start with some really discouraging news how about that let's do it it's thanksgiving we start- week it's a monday let's go all in <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the happiness a little bit Later, okay. So, uh, here, let me just read the first paragraph. The research agency Barna, which we talked about a lot, has released their new uh, brand of evangelicals report, and it finds that most Americans don't think very highly of evangelicals. In fact, just thirty percent of adults in the mm. country have a positive view of evangelicals. The reason for the negative views: politics. Yep. So, I'm going to stop there. There's all sorts of research and data, and a lot of people writing about this, but I, I just want to know from you first and foremost. Does that number surprise you, and does that reason surprise you?
0: Uh, the reason does not surprise me at all. Okay. Uh, the number, honestly, I, I actually thought it might get higher than that. And Really? Uh, it's discouraging. Uh-huh. It's discouraging. I think that, that the so to go to the reason, I think politics is absolutely the reason. I mean, I think you and I are going to talk about this at some point this week, but... Even to come out and hear somebody like Franklin Graham the other day talk use use phrases like demonic for people not following Donald Trump, and regardless of your politics, right, uh, really rubs people the wrong way, right, and and so when they see um, people talk like that, I think they start to see evangelicals not as uh, a. <laughs> a force of good, a group mm. trying to do something or of kind of a, uh, a very um, unique type of uh, people who are united under Jesus, but who are very different, but they instead see it. People outside the faith see evangelicalism as just this homogeneous voting block mm. that may or may not be pushing an agenda that they don't agree with and feeling like it's getting a little bit more even conservative uh, therefore, no, it doesn't surprise me, especially when it's seen through a political lens. And to be honest with you, if I wasn't an evangelical, like if I wasn't a believer yeah. and I watch the news all the time and I read and I watch certain people who are held up as the evangelical people,
2: I'd have a negative view of it and I'd see it as a political block as well. So I'm curious how you are able to still hold a positive one. Is it simply because you are a Christ follower or does your role as a as a pastor sort of inform that a little bit for better or for worse? Like if if what you just said is true, mm-hmm. if I just objectively am watching the news, I'm not an evangelical, I'm not a Christ follower, I'd have a negative opinion, but right now I don't. What what is the greatest cause for that current conclusion for Brian Fromm? Because the vast
0: majority of evangelicals I know and yeah, that's be, what it is. I'd okay. be curious if you fall in that this as well, if you believe this. But the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of evangelicals I know, whether it be in my church. In my sphere of people that I'm in touch with, people from my past, the church I grew up in, the college I went to, whatever else it might be. Like, I've been in the evangelical church my entire life, uh, and college and all of this stuff. The vast majority of people uh, who are, who are, who would self uh, classify as an evangelical uh, don't fit kind of the caricature that's put out there. They don't, they also are bothered when Franklin Graham said what he said the other day or, uh, or when, but not everyone is not everybody. Right. I'm not, that's why I'm saying the vast majority of people in my in my world. But uh, so I still keep a good view of evangelicalism as a whole because I I think that I try to allow it to be informed and painted by the people uh, that I know and not necessarily the figureheads that are out there. But you know it's harder and harder to keep that. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, uh, But I get it. I do get why people have a negative view, for sure.
2: Well, let me, we'll share these uh, these articles on the Facebook page, but let me just read a couple summaries from the actual report. Yeah. Uh, again, David Kinnaman is sort of at the helm of, uh, of Barna these days. It says, based on na- uh, a nationwide study of U.S. adults, we found that, though many people still view evangelicals as a committed group of believers who put their faith first, their political connotation puts the future of American evangelicalism in a precarious spot. Mm. It goes on to say that almost half 46 percent of respondents said their view of evangelicals was neutral so it's not just that there's this high percentage of sort of negative connotations it's that there's this huge middle space of people that are like Meh. I can take it or leave it, yep. which also poses a problem, to be honest. It says elsewhere, for these adults, there is an impregnable fortress of indifference toward evangelicals. The extreme views, both favorable or unfavorable, dominate the discussion, but the middle ground doesn't really know what to think about evangelicalism. That's not a sensational story these days, mm. but it is an important one. And we talk a lot about the nature of this show, even down to the title, the common good, right? The common space that we occupy. What is the significance, you think, to a massive massive percentage 46% saying you know what I'm not even really sure what I feel yeah I'm seeing some of the stuff that you've mentioned in the news but I also I I, there's this pastor down the road that seems to be legit but I my own experience I'm just not really sure what do you do with 46% saying Hmm. I could take it or leave it yeah I part my first thought when you asked that was
0: That if you were not in the church, if you were not a Christ follower, you probably would have a very hard time even defining evangelicalism where you would know, like, there's denominations, right? Like the Catholic Church. Yep. You know, there's a Catholic Church there. There's a Catholic Church there. uh, You know, take other denominations. And so part of that might be, uh, you know, I went to, you know, you go to one evangelical church and they seem really conservative and you go to the next one up the road and they don't so much. Uh, So there's that. But I do think that there is probably the red flag here, at least the yellow flag, is culturally there probably is a growing indifference to things of the faith for some people. Uh, That's a big number. Forty six percent neutral says I wonder um, if they're also uh, here's what I would ask Would those forty six percent also say they're neutral towards. Uh, issues of faith in general, because mm. that would be problematic. That would be worrisome to me.
2: Well, we, we posted the entire full article, the full mm-hmm. research, which I think is worth actually delving into. Whether Absolutely. you're a Christ follower or not, to be honest, I think there's a lot of things, and this is kind of my heartbeat. I'll sort of end with this. Yeah. So often I feel like we see stories like this, we read articles and research like this, and the Christian posture seems to be defensiveness. And I would love to challenge and invite Christ followers listening to say, hey, yeah, can, we just, can we just? can we just suspend our defensiveness for half a second and just listen to some of the reasons why mm. because so often it's easy to like well my church isn't doing that my pastor friends aren't doing that like oh yeah and i think that's legitimate and i think that's encouraging but it is also something that we should step back and say Alright, this is legitimate then if this, if this is even remotely true And I think that it is mm. What are the things that the church needs to learn to do better And maybe listening is at the top of that list mm-hmm. To say, alright, where are we totally missing it where, where are you seeing our words and our actions Completely misaligned And how can we have a better dialogue going yep. forward Yeah, that's good Well, coming up next, I'm really, really excited for this interview. His name is Daniel Yang, and he is the director of the Send Institute. He's also a church planner and just an incredibly intelligent guy. You are not going to want to miss that interview. That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that to to be wise with money and to live generously and that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality it was just their heart to give back to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously to be wise with money and live generously and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them and so if you're interested in learning more i can't encourage you enough to head to thrivent.com today Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get your podcast, if that is you. Somehow, magically, liking, subscribing, and reviewing does actually help us out. And uh, if you hit that little share button, if you found any of this even remotely helpful, useful, or interesting, uh, we would be eternally grateful for that. But I am so thrilled to have in the studio, in the flesh today, Daniel Yang, welcome to the show, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's my mm-hmm. pleasure. For people who don't know who you are, uh, I'm wondering if you could just introduce yourself, and you can be as professional or personal as you want to uh-huh. be. Just give people a, kind of a glimpse into who you are. Yeah,
1: man, th- thanks for having me. Yeah, yes. I appreciate uh, appreciate the time. So my name is Daniel. I uh, direct what's called the Send Institute, uh, warehouse out of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College here in Chicago. Uh, and what it is, is it's a think tank for church planting, specifically wow. in North America. So we think about what are the issues that we need to think about for the future of church planting, starting new churches, uh, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. So I've been for about two and a half years prior to that. I was a church planter uh, in Toronto. And uh, my wife and I, we've got five children, and uh, uh, that keeps us pretty busy in yeah. addition to all that, uh, wrapping up a Ph.D. at Trinity as well. So. Nice. Uh,
0: other than that, lots of <laughs> Yeah. Other than, that, yeah sure. other than that, sleep. Yeah. I, I'm looking at your bio. I'm just curious, before we jump into church planting itself, that you were an engineer for eight years prior to church mm-hmm. planting. So that feels like a journey. Tell us about that story a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So I was an engineer uh, in the city of Detroit. Uh, was was an engineer for about eight, nine years. Uh, and it was probably halfway through my uh, career there that I felt the Lord kind of changing my vocation. You know, just a short mm. story. Uh, began doubting my faith tremendously in my mid-20s. Wow. Uh, out of two years of that, I had the conviction that if I'm going to be a Christian, I need to know the Bible. So I was paying my way through seminary. Mm. It was about a year and a half through seminary that I felt like, no, the Lord's changing my call. It was actually that doubt, kind of the, you know, uh, can we trust the Bible? Can we trust, you know, right. what, what faith in, in Jesus is really about? that it felt like, you know, there's a lot of people in North America that feel the same way, mm. and what was actually a personal struggle was really
2: a missional call that the Lord put mm. on my life, so. so that's so. remarkable. All right, yeah. so this is maybe an obvious question for some, but not for others, because Brian was a church planner, mm-hmm. is a church planner, I guess, yep. always is. I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm you're at, at the same, th- same th- church, <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah, right okay. I'm at Community <laughs> Christian Church with David John Ferguson, right? They're, yep. they're known as Each. church planners. Why, yeah. why is it important that we keep planning churches?
1: There's a couple of ways to, to think about it, but kind of for those of us, again, in my engineering background, to kind of think about it quantitatively, if we were to just uh, think about, you know, we need a, one church per thousand people, which is kind of the current status quo. Hmm. That's in the you United know, States, three hundred twenty-seven. Uh, you know, a million people, and then we have roughly about three hundred twenty-four, twenty-five thousand churches. Wow! So if we were to just to keep that. Um, then we would need to, ha- by the time twenty fifty rolls around, which the population projections right around four hundred thousand minimum. Mm-hmm. Wow! Uh, most likely four hundred twenty-five uh, million. Sorry, I said four hundred thousand, but four hundred twenty-five million. That means that we would need to plant roughly eighty million churches between uh, you know the last census, two thousand ten, and, and 20- twenty fifty. Wow! Uh, which comes Around to be about 18 1,900 churches a year that we need to net. And I say net, right? Uh, currently, we net around 300 churches a year. And no the way that we get that number is we plant roughly about 4,000 churches and 3,700 churches close their doors. Wow. Per year, wow. so we net about three hundred churches a year. So, not everybody wants to think about it that way because it just sounds so mechanical and numeric driven. But that's just one way to think about it. Yeah. Uh, pro- probably, you know, the more uh, effective way to kind of think about church planting is, you know, North America has changed just so much. Mm-hmm. Like our cities are not the same cities they were in the seventies, eighties, or even two thousands. And so, in some ways, mythologically, just it just makes sense that we need new kinds of churches and church planting. Really, is is a way in which we're renewing the church in North North America consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, those are some of the reasons. Uh, obviously, North America, uh, in terms of diversity, yeah. is changing quite rapidly. I mean, we live in Chicago, and so right. uh, not many people realize that by 2042, the whole entire United States, for the first time, will not have a racial majority. Wow. Whereas in, in, in Chicago, we're already experiencing that. We already know that. And I planted in Toronto, which is uh, less than 50% uh, white Uh, this is the future of North American cities. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, in some ways, uh, a lot of our models in church planting were tied to uh, denominations that were started by boomers Mm -hmm. uh, in the uh, 50s and 60s. And so the models and the the paradigms and the motivation for planting in some ways were driven by white boomers. Mm -hmm. But that's changing so rapidly. I mean, for those of you who are in church planting networks, and you and I know this, Mm -hmm. Ian, with uh, hanging out with uh, Ferguson's, that uh, those paradigms are shifting uh, quickly That's and right. we need to empower new kinds of leaders for the future. So those are some things that we think about and we talk about when we look at churches yeah. in the 21st century. So, yeah. Wow.
0: What are some of the trends you see going on? I think of, we we started our church like 10 years ago and had no idea what we were doing. and mm. uh, and But now people like the Fergusons or Exponential or other things, there's yeah. all this stuff going on. So. Uh, what are some of the trends in church planting that might be different than say ten years ago? Yeah,
1: yeah. So one of the trends is that you know we realized uh, thirty forty years ago when we didn't have tools for church planting that it was essential to to create resources and tools. So a lot of those yeah. tools were like uh, how do you launch a, a Sunday service, and so and mm. that was essential. And God used that. We're realizing that that has less of a return in terms of mm. you know launching large worship services on a Sunday. Uh, not that it's ineffective but it just has a less return in terms of conversion rates and evangelistic effectiveness so that's one trend that we're constantly you know we're, we're not saying throw that out and, 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 and not do launch large but we're saying that's just one tool in tool shed mm-hmm. for a long time that was the tool right. uh, and then you know I, I talked about diversity before and I just um, there are higher higher levels of diversity so we talk about multi-ethnic churches mm-hmm. um, and that has become a common as a matter of fact in the last time I don't, I don't think I've met a, a recent white or even african-american church planter that's not planting a multi-ethnic church right it's just the that's just the underlying assumption now Mm. Uh, and so i think that you know the higher degree of diversity is going to bring um the need for not just multi-ethnic churches but different paradigms in which you actually think about church leadership. right? Right. And so because when you think about like uh, multi-ethnic church leadership, it's just more than just uh, the white and black issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's become much more complex. So I don't think it's anything new, but it's higher levels of what we had already seen in the 90s and
2: 2000s, and we're just seeing higher levels of that. Okay, let me ask you a little bit more about that because I uh – I pastor in Naperville, right? (laughs) Um, Brian and I are both white guys, but I also grew up outside Detroit, so Mm -hmm. a lot of my kind of upbringing was... Uh, a bit more diverse sometimes than the environments I find myself in. Now, what what is? Can you drill down a little deeper? What a what planting a multi ethnic church looks like? How do you if you are saying that's now becoming like the baseline? Yeah. W- what does that look like practically? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Great question. And just to kind of give us an idea, you know, it, back in the fifties and sixties uh, in America, the conversation was still integrated churches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we get whites and blacks to attend the same church together? Right. Right. So obviously that conversation shifted to multi ethnic because that includes a lot of the immigrant communities that came mm. seventy five. Eighties uh, uh, in the nineties, uh, so what that looks like typically is uh, a, a better sense of shared leadership, uh, mm-hmm. pastoral leadership, team leadership, hmm. uh, and so uh, part of it is also learning to be comfortable. So, you know, the, in my conversations, you know, uh, uh, Anglo's and whites being comfortable uh, under the leadership of somebody yeah. who's African American, somebody right. who's Asian, somebody who's Hispanic. Uh, these are some of the dynamics, uh, and then also allowing the different, like, theological voices from the, the mm. ethnic traditions to shape yeah. the community life, shape the even the doctrinal distinctions. Uh, you know, Hispanics think about, you know, community in a very different way than, you know, even Asians. Uh, African Americans have a strong, rich tradition of preaching. There's a place right. of pain in which develop their preaching uh, styles. And so hmm. all of this has uh, uh, modes, you know, the future multi-ethnic church. And yeah. so I don't think there's an ideal. I don't think there's one kind of multi-ethnic, multi-ethnic church. I think there are several different models that we need to think about and pioneer. And um, the
2: willingness to exist in one another's spaces is probably yeah. the biggest thing. Oh man, I have like 47 other questions now. It's a good <laughs> thing you're sticking around for good two more staying. segments. Yeah. 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 That other voice you're hearing is Daniel Yang, director of the Send Institute. we will be sticking around for a couple more segments, talking about church planning multi-ethnic church and a whole host of other things that's what's coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life hey everyone welcome back to the common good my name is ian simpkins along with the right reverend brian from you can find us on facebook the common good radio show Also 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcast. And we are so thrilled to have in the studio Daniel Yang, who is the director of the Send Institute. And my guess is some people listening are going to go... Oh, I know exactly what that is. I know exactly what you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. No need to tell me anymore. But yeah. my guess is there's probably even more people that are like, I've never heard of the Send Institute. I'm not quite sure what that even looks like. Yeah. What, it, what is it that you do specifically and the organization as a whole for mm-hmm. someone that maybe has no idea?
1: Great. And thanks for enunciating "Send" correctly. <laughs> Sometimes people hear
2: the SIN Institute. The SIN <laughs>
0: Institute.
2: <laughs> so so someone's getting like a demon and they're at the there. Yeah, Institute. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, you should be headquartered in Las Vegas. Or, yeah. So. <laughs>
1: So the sentence sheet was uh, uh, really an idea uh, between uh, Ed Setzer uh, and Jeff Christopherson. Ed Setzer is the executive director at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, and uh, Jeff Christofferson, who was at the time um, vice president of the North American Mission Board. Hmm. It was them really thinking, you know, how do we actually further the conversation uh, about planting evangelistic churches hmm. for the 21st century in North America? Uh, both of them realizing that you know, they've been church planting for a long time. Right. Probably, I don't know if anybody has a more authoritative voice in church planting in North America than Ed Stetzer. Uh, and then uh, Jeff Christopherson, just probably one of our sharpest missiologists that mm. we, we've we've had um, in the last uh, decade. I just started thinking, how do we actually uh, help all boats rise? When I say boats, like denominations, yeah. networks, mm-hmm. those who care about the future of churches. Um, and so the, you know, their idea was, well, why don't we creating an institute where we can actually help um, host some of these conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really good friends with Exponential, really good friends with um, some of the other church planning conferences, realizing that we, we, we didn't want to be a, a conference, we didn't want to be a church planning organization, we wanted to be a convening, uh, a place of convening. And mm-hmm. so uh, so that was founded about two and a half years ago, and so the idea was that we wanted to bring those who uh, are leading church planning conversations together to have those conversations together. Yeah, realizing that, you know, uh, you know. so if you're Lutheran and you're Southern Baptist and United Methodist, you're not always going to be in the same space yeah, right. um, talking about church planting. And so we wanted to create that place where we could talk about, uh, number one, uh, you know, the strategy behind church planting, yep. but also the underlying theology and missiology for church planting in North America. Hmm. Like, for instance, like we know this about like foreign missions, that there's a certain kind of theology that drives you to do missions a certain way yeah, uh, right. overseas. We're realizing more and more that as North America is a very unique context that we need to update our missiology Mm -hmm. for North America. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so part of what we do at uh, the Set Institute is we try to look at the cultural issues that we're facing in church planting. Uh, Some of the things we talked about in the first segment. Uh, And then how do we actually help uh, organizations um, think better as they Mm -hmm. devise church planting strategies? Mm. So a couple of ways that we do that is we run think tanks throughout the year. Mm. And so we bring those who lead at high level um, uh, capacity in their organizations, their denominations to talk through some of those issues. And then we also do some research. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we just released uh, a report on Hispanic church planting in North America. What does that look like? Uh, And that was that was huge for a lot of organizations to kind of think through those things. I'm sure. Uh, And then we've had a couple uh, things that are coming up uh, soon that, again, constantly are helping us to think through what are the cultural issues that we need to think about as we're looking at church planting in North America. That's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah.
0: Taking it down to kind of where we live in Chicago, I'm, I'm curious how you would uh, describe the culture of church planting in the Chicago area. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny because
1: I, uh, I I was born in East Moline. So well, that's you know, about two hours outside of Chicago in the, in the Quad Cities. Uh, and so, uh, but I grew up in Detroit. And so Chicago is always the next large city over. And then Toronto, mm-hmm. which is where I planted. Most Americans don't realize that. Uh, Toronto is a large city right outside of the United States. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, when, it, when I thought about Chicago growing up, like I thought about like Chinatown. <laughs> I thought about <laughs> Pho. pho- <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> and, then, and then maybe the lakeshore, right? Yeah, so right, that was kind right. of my perception of Chicago. And so uh, even as an adult, like uh, having visited, I never really understood the complexity of Chicago. Mm. Uh, and Detroit's complex in its own way. Right. Um, uh, and so, um, having moved here, realizing I I hear this over and over again that there are barriers to collaboration there are barriers to you know um, just greater levels of working together Yeah. Uh, w- what I understand uh, and what I'm hearing from different network leaders is over the last few years there's been an openness mm. in terms of groups and networks talking to each other yeah. uh, different denominations willing to work together like I mean I love it every time we're doing something 1160 is there mm. uh, because you really just want to serve pastors you really just want to serve the church yeah. and so um, and that's been really neat. And so I I don't know if that's uh, always been the case, but um, I'm really encouraged to hear that people feel like there's a sense of collaboration that's different over the last, uh, you know, a a couple of years. Hmm. Uh, You know, on the ground level, you know, outside of the church, I'm just really, um, I think Chicago is an amazing city (laughs) to pioneer new ways of doing church. And Hmm. so I'm excited to see, you know, the guys that are doing house churches here. Uh, and and then
2: and then, also uh, just continue to to get better at doing kind of traditional churches, yeah so, yeah so one of the things that has been surprising to me, like I had never heard the term church planting growing up at all In me, fact, yeah. when I, when I came to community and they 're like, oh it 's a church planting church, I thought how adorable they have a garden they have (laughs) plants that they're like what are some of the hurdles do you think to churches that could be planting churches that just aren't because they're not aware or they're too siloed or they're too inward focused like what are some of the things you're seeing as the main barriers to effective church planting I
1: I think most pastors and church leaders are just really uh, trying to stay faithful to the people that's in front of them right and so and then you know and that's great and we need that and then uh, then they wake up 5, 10, 15 years and they realize their neighborhood's changed right or they realize that you know, uh, uh, that their congregation's aging and they're losing young people, you know, mm. I mean, these are some of the symptoms that, you know, uh, uh, some churches lack self-awareness in terms of the need for new churches. And so mm. there's always a the threat of a, you know, of a, of a, you know, potential sheep stealing. I mean, you know, right, it, there's right. weird things that, that pastors, you know, <laughs> uh, pastors kind of tell themselves. And really, I think, um, and the reality is that, uh, in terms of just thinking about like, you know, what, what is our best bet to mm-hmm. reach uh, North America and our neighbors. And for the most part, it is still, uh, you know, evangelistic communities. Yeah. They're willing to take shape around the people that they're reaching. That's right. Rather than an existing community that's trying to assimilate people that, you know, have a hard time mm. understanding your culture. Right. So I think um, that's, a, that's a paradigm shift that is hard for a lot of existing church leaders to kind of uh, accept.
0: Wow. Yeah. And so what do you th- what have you heard from pastors stops them from embracing Like, yeah, we're going to plant churches. We're going to do that. I know you touched on a little bit. of You become inward focused. But I'm curious what some of the pushback you get.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is just bandwidth, you know. Mm. And so the, uh, the amount of programming that happens in our churches that, you know, a good programming at that. And then also, um, I think, uh, in terms of like imagination, I think it's, oh, in some ways, um, we just don't have an imagination for what it would look like to have three or four churches in our community mm-hmm. collectively working together to reach the, to address the issues in our community. So I think there is a sense in which, like, uh, when a church has an ownership over their community, they feel like, you know, we know it best. When the reality is that, no, actually, if you have another church planner come in with new eyes and with different kinds right. of resources, yeah collectively you might be able to do more in that community than what you could do yeah. as somebody who's been there for 20 30 years
2: which is sometimes i imagine that takes a uh, a very intentional ratcheting back of your ego too right yeah sure to to recognize, oh yeah. man, a fresh set of eyes actually might be good here, yep. rather than like I've been in the city twenty years. How dare you yep. weigh in on my city? They do you see some of that as well. Totally,
1: and I think the onus in some ways is on the, the the new person coming in to honor what God's already doing there, right? And to really just honor, you know, the the spiritual leaders already in place, yeah. and to say that, you know, in addition to what God's done through you, I think God's also calling uh, me and my
2: team to underscore what you're already doing. Man, that's so good. Patrick O'Connell will call that the great collaboration, right? Yeah. A really necessary yeah. piece of the Venn diagram. Well, yeah. That third voice you're hearing is none other than Daniel Yang, director of the Send S-E-N-D Institute. Good. Not Send <laughs> Institute, just in case anyone's just joining us. But he's going to stick with us for one more yeah. segment. We're going to talk about the multicultural church, church planning, and a whole host of other things, all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to the common good we miss you glad you're still here uh, you can find us all over the place on facebook at the common good radio show 1160 hope.com slash the common good plus some of you are already aware of this We have a podcast. If that is you, somehow liking, subscribing, and reviewing does really, really help us out. And if you hit that share button, that helps us out even more. But one of our favorite things about the show is to have guests and just to Mm kind of get into the heads of people that we find to be really interesting, doing great work in the world. And Daniel Yang, you are no exception. You are the director of the Send Institute. And before we go any further, uh, where can people learn more about you and or the Send Institute?
1: Awesome. Yeah. I mean, our website is sendinstitute.org, and then all of our social media
2: channels uh, are, are the same. So, sendinstitute. Real easy. You guys nailed it. Twitter, yeah. Instagram, all yep. that stuff. Yeah. You guys are so hip with the kids. All right. So, here's <laughs> my guess my guess is at this point. You've sort of wet the appetite of some of our listeners. They're thinking, okay, I'm on board. The stuff that you're sharing seems legit. Uh, I'm a part of a church that's never really maybe had the bandwidth to think about this. Mm-hmm. What are some practical steps for someone listening that's interested in taking a step in the direction of church planning? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's probably the question that we
1: want the uh, you know, vast majority of churches to be asking right now. Uh, because there's a difference between growing your church mm-hmm. and then also planting churches to reach your community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want both. Right? Right. We want churches to grow. And so, churches that are, uh, uh, you know, evangelistic and are. They care about their neighbors. We want them to grow, but we also want them to think about. It's kind of like having a family, right? I mean, I want to grow my family. Well, I've got five kids, so I, I'm pretty much at I'm pretty <laughs> I'm much at max done. capacity, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I'd love for my kids to have family, right? Yeah. So, um, in some ways, church planning is kind of the same way. There is a sociological kind of like minimum or maximum that we function best in terms of like uh, community life, and yeah. so most churches are at an optimal size. And so the average size uh, church across the uh, United States is about 80 people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very, uh, you know, I mean, mega churches uh, are, 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 you know, uh, 2% of the number of churches that we have in, in the United States. No so, kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Uh, and so it's not a large, you know, uh, it's not a large um, percentage of churches. Most churches are smaller. And so, um, and because there's a, there's a sociological and mythological reason for that. And that's because most people. Um, are are most known in a smaller community, right. you know, 80 to 120 people. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a pastor uh, and you want to grow your church, man, I, I really want to, to see you evangelists, see you reach others. But one, one other way is to begin to think about, God, what are you doing over in that community, you know, that's four or five or six blocks or maybe, you know, five miles away? Mm. And uh, probably the most practical thing is to spend time uh, – yeah, uh, as a leader of an existing church is to ask good questions of what's going on in that community. Yeah. And so before you even start putting together a mission strategy, mm. uh, spending time in that community, praying over it, uh, asking mm. what breaks the heart of the people that live in that community. And it could be Naperville or it could right. be, you know, uh, a Austin neighborhood of Chicago. Right. I mean, there's a there's a question that breaks the hearts of the people in that mm. particular neighborhood. And so, as a pastor, uh, I'm gonna or a church leader, I'm just gonna uh, begin to investigate those questions, hmm. and then you begin asking God, are there people within our church or in our vicinity that, in some ways, have that passion for that need in that community? Oh, that's so good. Hmm. And so, some of the practical things that you know uh, I, I help coach uh, pastors through is how do you just organize um, a prayer walk in that community? Hmm. You know, I mean, if you don't touch, if you don't see if you don't understand the needs of that community then you're uh, less likely to develop a good uh, mission strategy yeah, uh, to know. reach that community uh, and then there's a myriad of ways to begin developing core groups and core teams i don't think you have to send out half of your church to reach that community no. but i think you begin praising uh, you asking God who is it among our church that mm. we can begin to develop Uh, And provide the practical skills to invest in that community evangelistically, share the gospel that makes sense to that community. And then as people come to Christ, uh, see a a Christ community formed. In a sense, that's church planting, you know, at at bare minimum.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speak to the person out there who might be like, man, I think I'm a church planter. Like, I feel called to do that. Um, how does somebody know if that's a good idea for them and what would be some next steps maybe for that person to take
1: yeah that's a great question Uh, so three things usually when you're uh, talking to somebody who feels a call to church planting number one uh, always looking for some kind of internal call Mm. Uh, where from scripture what what are the moments in your life where you felt like man God you know this is really I think where you're calling me like there's a myriad of ways to do ministry but I really feel like this is the path that you so what's that Mm. internal call and then secondly, what's, what is the communal call? And so do hmm. the people around you have that sense of, like, I think God has shaped you for this. I think God, you know, is uh, gifted you in this particular direction. Right. Uh, and then uh, thirdly is what's the opportunity that's in front of you? Uh, because you might feel like you have the call and then the, the people might, around you might feel like you have the call as well. But if the opportunity hasn't presented itself, Mm. then
2: it may not be the right time. So always looking for an internal, external, and what's the opportunity. Awesome. All right, so I got a two-part question, if I may. Uh, One, excuse me, so we only have like less than a half hour together. What are like other resources or even books that you're reading or have read that you would suggest people check out because our time together is so short? And two, I would love to just know how can we be praying for you and for the Send Institute and any listening that go in. I've never heard of this organization. I would love to just support them in prayer wherever I'm listening. How would you answer those two questions? Hmm.
1: Yeah, great. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're, let's, I'm going to talk about the different tiers. Yeah, please. If you are a leader of a denominational leader or if you lead a network organization, uh, we, we host something that happens twice a year called the Church Morning Leadership Fellowship. Hmm. Uh, you can go to the website at New Churches. It's not our website, but it's at newchurches.com slash c. PLF, Church Planning Leadership Fellowship. Tons of resources there. I'd love for you to uh, be a part of that fellowship. Awesome. Uh, if, you're, if you're somebody who's discerning that question to church planning, uh, you know, there's so many books out there, but I, I like to uh, recommend uh, Jeff Christopherson's book, uh, either Kingdom Matrix or Kingdom First, okay. because it really helps you think about like a more holistic way of church planting and not mm. just setting up a Sunday worship service, mm-hmm. which is a part of it. Right. Um, but Jeff has a more holistic approach to church planting, and I think it's just a a very fantastic tool. Uh, and then uh, in terms of just kind of like online resources, we gave the website, uh, you know, one of the things that I uh, encourage everybody is uh, even if you're not called to be a lead church planter mm-hmm. or a church planning pastor, even if you're just, you know, a, if you consider yourself like just a, a church member, mm. I think uh, praying for the harvest, praying for God to send out workers. There's a group of us that every day at ten oh two because of Le- uh, Luke chapter 10 verse two, or you pray out, you know, Lord, uh, Lord of Harvest, to to send out workers into the um, into the harvest, wow. or into the field. Uh, so every day, 10, uh, two, mm. you, you set your walk, watch and you're just constantly praying that Jesus, would you send people, would you send people? Oh, yeah. And that's something you can do. So in terms of like for the Send Institute, I think for us, because we navigate such high-level conversations with leaders of church planning organizations, just the wisdom to um, also provide uh, good information yeah. uh, and then also uh, the wisdom to help make practical next steps. Because yeah. I think this is a conversation that – can get lost in, um, you know, the cultural tides that we're in, right? Because of you know po- politics and, yeah. uh-huh. and <laughs> racial tensions, we <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> and so we want to keep it about the mission as much as possible. Mm. Yeah.
0: So with like the last minute we have left, uh, I always like to just say, "Hey, speak just words of hope to people out there. Maybe people out there they're discouraged about the church. Sure. Maybe speak words of hope of what you see the church can be."
1: Yeah, yeah. man, I love that question. I'm still convinced that the best. Missionaries, church planters, church leaders are still uh, unreached, Hmm. and so I I always think that you know our best leaders right now we're just we're just door holders for the Mm. next generation of. Pastors, leaders, church leaders, to come in, and they're probably unreached uh, right now. Uh, they're probably our neighbors next door. Yeah, they're probably the ones that we need to step across the street and share the gospel with, share Jesus with, share a life with. Yeah, and so when I tell people um, the the enormity of church planting weight that weighs on like these organizations is really boiled down to mobilizing the church member to Mm. share their faith with the person closest to them. Mm. Because it's really in those moments that God plants dreams in a new field and when that 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 dream or that seed begins to take fruit, it's gonna look different from the churches yeah. that we are used to seeing. Yeah, so. no
2: kidding. Wasn't that C. S. Lewis said your neighbor is the holiest person yeah. or the holiest thing to your senses or something like that. That's I think right. that's brilliant, man. Yeah. Daniel Yang, thank you so much thank for joining you, us for so long. We appreciate that. That has been Daniel Yang, the director of the Send Institute. Just to give you the web address again one more time, sendinstitute.org. That's S E N D institute.org. Cannot encourage you enough to check it out and to pray for all the work they're doing. Thank you for taking Thank the time you. man. thanks guys you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life
1: It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common our common hopes our common fears our common struggles together we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives this is The Common Good now, here are your hosts, Brian
2: Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. We are still here and it is still Monday. Still Monday. But hopefully, hopefully we can make it a little less Monday-y by our smiling voices. Smiling voices? Is that even a thing? It's, you can, your voice can sound smiley. You know, I read that once. Yes. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> you think you can decipher a smiling voice if you had to? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. What like, am I doing right now? Oh, you can look at I me. Look Never at mind. You. Never I, mind. Can, close, I can. I Close your with eyes. my eyes. Close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, where I can play nah, this game. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> game. All right, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, Eleven Sixty hopecom or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And in news that I don't really want to talk about. Oh, you're talking about the Giants Bears game again? Tomorrow, nah. Yesterday. <laughs> how did you know, Brian? Oh man, how was that game for you?
0: I was disappointed because as a Giants fan I was excited to like be able to taunt people. Yeah. But to be honest with you, the Giants are terrible and supposed right. to be terrible this year. So as I told someone at church last night, I just said that game was just a like competition of who's less bad. <laughs> it's not a, like a referendum like, ooh, the bears are back or,
2: Right. it was no. just two
0: really bad teams. I know. Kind of like uh, having like a little fight there, and like the the, the less bed, bad team came
2: out on top. Now so. One of those bad teams is playing my bad Detroit Lions little on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving which, do you,
0: does that make for a good Thanksgiving, or does that
2: hurt your Thanksgiving? No, what it that always ruins it.
0: It's, <laughs> for as
2: long as I can remember, I mean, literally, the NFL had to start <laughs> adding like, other games because the Lions yes. lost so many consecutive Thanksgiving Day games. Okay, but the other story <laughs> that I also don't really want to talk about, that, uh, if I'm being really honest, Pains me yes. to continue to talk about, but it is both faith and culture kind of intersecting. It's also deeply Chicago, so I felt like we need to at least address it. And it is the story, the ever unfolding saga of James McDonald. Why yes. don't you give us just a brief update of what's going so on? So
0: the reason you and I feel like it has to be talked about is because it was a front page article yesterday or a couple days ago at the Daily Herald. Uh-huh. Like we're like this isn't even Christian today. All these people are writing about it. Uh, But this is major Chicagoland news, not just major evangelical Chicagoland Mm -hmm. news. And so uh, there finally was a report that came out that was reported on to the various Harvest campuses uh, doing basically a report on the expenses and the money Mm -hmm. uh, that was spent on James McDonald or by James McDonald. And the headline to the Daily Herald goes this way. Former Harvest Bible Chapel pastor was paid more than $1 million a year expenses Questioned and uh. it's it's really hard to read, man, because uh, it, it becomes a story of like uh, I'll call it greed. And lack of oversight. But really where I'd like to eventually get us is like, how do churches get to this point? Yeah. How right. do you get to this point? But let me just read some of the particulars. Okay. It said in 2016 and 2017, far- former Harvest Bible Chapel senior pastor James McDonald took home a total of $273,000 just in incentive bonuses over the course of those <laughs> Gosh. Uh, two years. $170,000 spent on hunting and fishing, $140,000 spent on meals and entertainment, uh, an installation of a serv- an Internet service tower at his home, and more than $94,000 for clothing and eyewear. And according to the report... In 2015, an executive committee approved an overall compensation package of $1.24 million for James McDonald. That rose to $1.37 in 2016 and $1.387 in 2017. The 2019 package was supposed to be $1.27 million. Now, the compensation included salary, payment from Walk in the Word Ministries, a family travel bonus. Deferred compensation, other retirement benefits, health insurance, and, quote, a teacher license agreement, the incentive program bonus, and discretionary bonuses. And lastly, the report discusses $900,000 in spending on a private credit card account and $1 million in a private checking account, which were overseen by McDonald and several top church staffers, not the church's financial department. So to put that in another way, there were two accounts that were basically a million dollars each that were only overseen by him and a couple other people. Like a ton of red flags here. Uh, but the biggest thing is and it comes down to what we talked about in the first hour like why do people have bad
2: views of evangelicals mm-hmm. <laughs> increasingly here's one of the reasons why yeah for sure well and I, I actually don't even want to spend the rest of the segment talking about this specifically uh-huh. uh, we've posted a bunch of articles to our Facebook page I encourage you to read them for yourself and we do honestly uh, welcome your feedback your comments you okay. know are we are we missing some blind spots like including
0: in fairness that James McDonald responds that's that he right put on
2: Instagram on Instagram which again is a strange way To respond to all of this Personally but There there was a response from him That was basically Kind of saying You know No the elders were uh, On board with all of this And nothing was Shady behind the scenes My whole point I want to spend The next couple of minutes Talking about this Is um where do you draw the line mm-hmm. with regards to abuse of finances mm-hmm. and when does it become exploitative or abuse or when is it just a matter of hey Brian and Ian just don't live in this sort of financial yep. level so yep. it maybe seems more egregious to us but for you know for people that are playing at that level with that level of notoriety or that level of reach that's that's a totally normal and reasonable compensation package. Like, I'd love yeah. to know, like, one, just as like a as a man and a, as a pastor, how do these things hit you? And two, what encouragement or what what challenge would you give the people listening as mm-hmm. they're trying to navigate their own emotions regarding all of this? Yeah, those are
0: great questions because the first thought that came to mind was it Larry Flint or was it in the Larry Flint trial maybe where uh, the quote was made. Uh, I can't define for you what pornography is, but I know it when I see it. Mm. Like, for me, I don't Mm. know the answer to what's right and wrong. I just know what feels wrong when I see it. And maybe I'm too much of a feeler in that one. But uh, I do know a huge red flag for me is not just the amount of money and the different ways it was being spent, like, lavishly. I don't know. I'm kind of old school on the pastorate. Like, I like to get paid enough to, like, be able to feed my family and stuff. But the lavishness of this feels really uncomfortable to me. Um, but also the secrecy of it is really the big deal. The secrecy of accounts, but also the fact that the church people didn't know where their money was going to. And I get it. The Harvest Bible Chapel budget is exponentially more than my church's budget. Uh, But there seems to be a lack of transparency here uh, Mm. about the lavishness of of how the money was being spent. And then the secrecy of accounts is like the cherry on
2: the top that to me
0: Uh, is the biggest deal of
2: all. Yeah, the transparency piece, I think, is enormous. That should be a red flag for anybody if there's a lack of transparency in general, especially if you're a part of the constituency that's funding the organization, right? Like that to me, and again, maybe it was a huge blessing. The last church that I was at, you know, the previous founding pastor uh, had all sorts of secrecy. And so Mm. when, when I assumed the lead pastor role, it was sort of like... And maybe someone called it an overcorrection. Mm. I was like, "All right, everyone sees everything." Like it, it, gotcha. it just—it was so veiled in secrecy for so much, for so long. I said, "Okay, once a month congregational meeting, even if I'm the only one there, you can ask me any question you want. Like well, everything, everything is available." And I'm sure somebody would say, "Well, that might have been too much. <laughs> that might have been, but maybe for me quarterly." <laughs> but it was, but it was like it was, it really was, and I can see this now with some years beyond it, a, a response to. All of the understandable concern that people had, yep. not knowing exactly where everything was going. And yep. I wonder what the result would have been had something like that been put in place at Harvard.
0: Yeah, and the danger the, – the other hard part about this story is it's not just a James McDonald story. It's an elder – it's a stat, like it's a problem that was, seems to have been systemic within the church, the inner workings of the church. I mean, there, there are COOs and there are elders, certain elders who are signing off on this and that. Like, yeah. there just seemed to be a breakdown in the structure of the church yeah. that I'm sure they didn't start out by going, let's do this. Right. Let's That's do a this. good point. That's a good point. Uh, and it just grew and grew. And it does, you know, we don't have much time left, but it does for me also raise. What is it about your – what is it about uh, kind of the celebrity culture of your church where you're like, nope, it's still going so well. We're just going to keep doing this. We're going to mm. keep doing this, and we're okay with that.
2: I don't know. It raises a lot of questions. And maybe this is naïve. Maybe this is too simplistic. <laughs> you and I both tend to be naive. In this. <laughs> when when I hear stories like this, and then honestly, I want to ask the same questions of my own life. I mean, it's it's easy to, you know, point a finger at like the big celebrity people that are, yep. you know, kind of in the limelight right now, but you know, asking, or what are the small ways that I'm tend mm-hmm. to do the same thing in my life and to ask the question, could I see Jesus doing this? Yeah. Could I see Jesus spending that kind of money? or maybe it's a different category for you going to this website or talking about someone this way. Like I think that's always, and it's a little cliche, you know, the, what would Jesus do? But to run all of our activities and behaviors, whether you're a part of a church or not through that lens, like what I know of Jesus, could I see him behaving this way? I don't know. I just think that is such an important starting point. And man, I hope that you hear in Brian and I's voice that Mm -hmm. our, our hope is that the local church would be restored, would be healed. We've dealt with a lot of heartache in the last couple of years in Chicago and in particular, and, uh, we're praying for it, and we hope that you are, too. Well, coming up next, a very special in-studio guest, Austin Anderson, is going to join us for two segments here on The Common Good. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on the Facebooks at The, the Common Facebooks. Good Radio Show. That's true. I'm trying to, I'm trying to switch it up. Just keep things fresh. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you are a podcaster, if you could like, subscribe, and review, that does somehow magically help us out. We still have no idea how or why, but if you hit the share button and send it to a friend, a family member, or maybe an enemy, maybe the show will be a part of reconciliation. Mm. Just send them the (laughs) show. Brian's not convinced, which is totally understandable. (laughs) But one of the things we love about the show is having in-studio guests, and we have a very special guest in the studio, in the flesh, right now, Austin Anderson. Welcome to the show, sir.
3: Thank you so much, Ian. I'm just so blessed to be here and get an opportunity to share a little bit of
2: my testimony, a little more about me. Love that, man. So one of the things I was telling you that we have guests do as of late rather than me give a long drawn out introduction you even said to our email uh, an email to our producer that uh, ian may go on a tangent about how much he loves my dad <laughs> which is very likely it's <laughs> very likely warren anderson as many of you know is just a dear friend and a mentor of mine uh, that is your father but i'd love for you to just introduce yourself however you would like to
3: yeah so um my name is Austin Harrison, as I mentioned uh, I work at Judson University uh, in Elgin, like my dad. Uh Ian's a graduate of that great school. Lot of going around, a, lot, yeah. a lot of Judson uh-huh. going around. Yeah, and it's just, uh, and I work in the athletic department. Uh, I am what they call the director of athletic communications. So I do a lot of the stats and uh, inputting of all the so sports fun. and website uh, article management and things. Nice. Uh, it's so it's enjoyable, but uh, it's certainly uh, certainly a job that pays the means, but a lot of my passions are outside of my job, too. So oh, right on. Yeah. Right yeah.
0: on. Yeah. Why don't you give us... You, you wrote in here, you love to outline your testimony, talk about your testimony. Why don't you share a little bit of your story with us?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So... When I was about 18 months or so The first 18 months of my life seemed to be going Pretty normal Mm -hmm. Uh, things were going Fine but then about at 18 months of age uh, I wasn't hitting some vital Milestones like talking Mm -hmm. uh, Being irritable of just some you know Just some noises that aren't atypical uh, Or atypical of being uh, Understandable uh, at that time So my parents sought out some medical help uh, And then most of the Doctors at least locally uh, thought It was in the autistic spectrum Really Dialing down at some means it was was a very severe uh, mm. version of autism, so mm. something that uh, they were uh, discussing and, and, and toying with and seeing how can uh how can we you know be the best aid to my uh, To our son and mm-hmm. thankfully they sought Some medical help uh, they found a doctor uh, In California out of UCLA Michael Goldberg and the crazy thing about It is that he didn't necessarily have a background In uh, the neurosciences he was a Pediatrician by training his wife Had some chronic fatigue syndrome so it led us in some research for him hmm. and out Of that he started Seeing patients that had some autism uh, Diagnoses thinking that there might Be something that Uh, Could be treatable in the sense because just like many other disorders and illnesses, there's a very broad uh, diagnosis like window and it might not be like the initial intention of the initial doctor, right, Right. to go ahead and diagnose it as such. So thankfully, he sees it as that um, and he diagnoses many people in the autistic spectrum with a uh, an illness called Neuroimmune Dysfunction Syndrome, or NIDS. And hmm. a lot of the things are just some deficiencies that mimic autism, but aren't necessarily uh, the same thing as autism, because he the, with some with some medication and with other things of the sort a lot of training uh applied behavior analysis aba a lot of stuff like that some diet uh some even some pills that are way off the wall like something that you would like <laughs> honestly i think i was on a herpes medication i was like, trying to get on the side right i'm on this medication for this like this side little uh side effect might be beneficial he had some you know crazy no sciences kidding. yeah wow. so absolutely crazy stuff uh so and it was crazy that my parents even went through with this because the success rate was decent, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot yeah. of finances. I right. mean, they're still working through some of that stuff today, and I, God bless them. But um, And on top of that, too, just all sorts of different things they had to do in my schooling, too. Like they, uh, mm. There was stuff in... Low, lower elementary school when i was in elementary school that uh, they actually had to hire out themselves personal aides for mm. me wow. because there were some issues with getting in the school district trying to get that all figured out so wow. they appeared like, i had no idea until like three or four years ago this was the case like okay no so yeah like they were i just thought they were a assi- regular assistant uh you know teachers because they were in the yearbook they were in everything but it was my parents in the background mm-hmm. funding this wow. right so absolutely crazy uh, what they did in the next 10 years uh of my life there certainly were obstacles As I was going through uh, this treatment and uh, some things that were difficult were building friendships, especially uh, in the younger ages, right? You know, trying in the most formative years of my life, trying to build these friendships, trying to go, you know, all out to try to be able to fit in with the world. I'm not. And it was very frustrating at the time. And on top of that. I'm a Christian in a public school setting. Hmm. And so that was already a difference on yeah. top of the illness. So I, I mean, I was able to communicate with some people through sports and, I, and it wasn't like discluded from the lunch table, but it wasn't much more than that. Right. So right. there's a lot of formative things in my life uh, that were frustrating uh, throughout the years. But um, as, after I went through treatment uh, through all those crazy different things I was telling you guys about earlier, I was fully healed around the age of 12 um, and around the same time, oh. uh, I transferred into some private schooling, and it just made a lot more. It made me build up some confidence um, mm. in my life, and it's just really, really incredible uh, what God did uh, through my life. But uh, and also a great thing is that I don't really remember too much of mm. what happened. I do remember yeah. a couple of things. Uh, like one thing it, it, that I remember uh, is musically I mean I, I mean I had some musical inclination I didn't really start playing instruments until about sixth or seventh grade but mm. uh when you're younger there's a thing and i'm learning i guess it's called uh, synesthesia where you associate music right with colors or some other association right? right so for yep. me i the key of a is like a kind of a reddish color the key of oh, b wow. is kind of like black and the nice and the, and the interesting thing is is that a lot of the chords. I don't know how much you guys know about music, but a lot of the chords. It's just a couple note variations between like a B and right. an F sharp. Right. The colors would be very similar based on the different, just the slight changes of the notes. So wow. it's like I was building up music theory in my mind. Wow. But just differ just ever so slightly. So without the traditional training, so and I would never have been able to articulate this if I was able to get you know I wasn't didn't yeah. get out of the situation, but just right. kind of. A, building the mind kind of thing. So it was very fascinating with that. But besides that, I don't remember too much, but besides that, and maybe being irritable for a couple of like happy birthday songs or something like <laughs> right, that when yeah. I was younger. Right? right. But I'm so thankful that God uh, was able to work through me and get me uh, out of uh, some troubled times. And I'm so happy that, you know, I'm able to share my
2: story now. That's kind of yeah. a life mission of mine. Well, And I can say with confidence too, your parents are some of the two best people that I know. Oh, like them doing all these things behind the scenes without you knowing fits perfectly in line with the character that I know. That I mean, I've had the. I, this will be my tangent for your dad. Yeah. <laughs> this, like, I, I have loved my time with him so much, and when he speaks of his kids, it's just a whole different tier. Like it's so obvious how much. Uh, they both just love and care for you, so it, it is a joy for me even just to get to know your your story now and you 've yeah. been talking about it predominantly in the in the past tense right yeah I'm, I'm curious how some of that affects you like right here and now in the in the present day
3: yeah that's, that's a really good question um, for me the illness i mean all of like the medical stuff has really been pushed behind me it 's a mm. lot more of the psychological stuff mm. that's still sticking with me right so mm. um for me when you miss those formative years there's a lot of development that you have yeah. that would be important for you to uh to succeed in life and not it didn't take me too long to catch up necessarily mm. but just some mental doubts um kind of struggling through my head and that's what my doctor said uh that there would be a lot of like, just a sense of doubt maybe not feeling like you can accomplish something even though it's only very reasonable to do so mm. um and and it's funny that as I'm coming out of this is the time when social media started to become a thing, right? So uh-huh. it's a great, perfect timing to transition into me starting to doubt myself even more, right? So yeah, like, right. I, so, so dealing with de- you know depression and anxiety and things, mm. especially in the last four or five years, thankfully God has... Um, Put a support group in my life And and I've certainly Gotten help over the years And kind of getting myself Into a spot where I uh, Where I I feel confident in myself But that's just something uh, That I've been struggling with And even today You know Just kind of thinking through Like Can I get that job That's going to be You know Life-sustaining Can can I find a wife? Those kind of things Right And I'm trying to build Hmm. that up But knowing in my life That I'm In my identity Uh it's, I got to realize my identity is only through Christ alone right yeah. there's no there's nothing else I can't I can't look for it myself can't look for it in a Facebook post can't look for it and uh, anything else uh, that I have. Uh, in life that's materialistic, even if it is good on the surface, I got to look to God first. That's
2: awesome. That's so good. So I'm going to ask you in the coming up segment a little bit about some of what you just said, some of your rootedness in scripture and who God says you are. Cause I think that's such an important component to your story. And yeah. then I also want to give people an opportunity to connect with you if they want to learn more about you or your ministry. Cause I think, you know, we have a short time together now, but I, I, I would guess that people are resonating with what you're saying and I want to give people a chance to connect with you. So we're going to talk about all that coming up next with Austin Anderson right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You'll see Brian and I's smiling weird faces mm-hmm. and uh, you can also go to 1160 com slash the common good you can find us wherever it is you get your podcast if that is you first and foremost thank you secondly if you would like subscribe and review that does really help us out plus we post a lot of stuff on Facebook so any interactions any comments that stuff is actually how we kind of build the show is based mm-hmm. on interactions and suggestions from you and uh, in the studio right now Austin Anderson, the son of one of my favorite people, quickly becoming one of my favorite people, oh, to be honest. You're neck and neck with your old man right now. Oh, right. Is, uh, I'll, I'll tell him was, later. That.
0: That's <laughs> what we're going to talk about at uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah.
2: yeah. He in, like, yeah just in time for family conflict. Right on. <laughs> okay. So you, by the way, can I just say this? Thank you for sharing your story so Absolutely. honestly. It's part of what I find so refreshing about you is there's this real open handedness with who you are and what God has been doing. I think that's remarkable. Well,
3: yeah, thank you. And and, and just a couple of points on that and why I'm so open about it. A, I want to share it, but B, I mean everything's going to be revealed when we get to heaven anyways, yeah, right? right. <laughs> so what what's the point of hiding it, you know? <laughs> That's
2: so good. There you go. <laughs> All right, so you would mentioned at the end of the last segment some of your rootedness in who God says you are are there particular passages or scriptures that have been uniquely impactful to you over the years that you kind of anchor yourself in
3: yeah there's a pair of them and I kind of look at it uh, one kind of from the angle of someone from the outside kind of trying to interact with the person uh, like me who at a time had some difficulties and then another one to kind of deal with some of the feelings that I have mm. starting with the uh, the former uh, Luke 13, 14, 13 and 14 uh, kind of beginning the parable of the great Banquet. Hmm. Uh, he also said to the man who had invited him, "When you have a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Hmm. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just." And I'm not thinking exactly that Jesus is saying like, "Don't invite your parents to Thanksgiving by any means," but you know, <laughs> but in that context, though. You have to realize, though, too, that there, there is room. You have to extend yourself hmm. to people who might be, you know, lonely. They have stuff to give to society just as much as hmm. you do. That's right. And in the end, you might be the one who gets more blessed out of the situation, anyway. That's yeah. so good, man. Yeah. So that's 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 the one passage. The other one for me is Second uh, Corinthians twelve nine and ten. Uh, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. Uh, He was just a few verses before discussing how he has a thorn in his flesh. Mm. Uh, And then uh, the verse says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for Mm. you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, I am strong. Mm such a great testimony of understanding how God works in each and every one of us. And something I've been telling people is instead of, if you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, whether it's, you know, a disability or even just, uh, you know, anything like, you know, depression, a breakup, Mm -hmm. anything of that sort. Uh, why did God, instead of saying, why did God put me in this situation, say, how can I use the situation for his good? Oh, you know, okay. that, that, so that's something that I'm trying to uh, instill in my life, too. I'm, I'm preaching to myself, too, as much uh, yeah. as I'm preaching to everyone else. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. That makes for the best preaching. <laughs> yeah, no yourself. kidding, man. Tell me a little bit about this ministry that you have called Minds of Meaning. I'm yeah. very sure to hear about that.
3: Yeah, so I, I, it's it's in its infancy stages. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a blog. It's public speaking. It's anything of the sort. Uh, currently, uh Operating as a, as a nonprofit, I guess, if you want to call it that, no, 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 uh, or anything by that yeah. means. Uh, but it, it's very interesting. I'm able just to kind of lay out on my on my blog site, which is mindsandmeeting.com, just discussing some ideas. Uh, it doesn't have to be just uh, neuroimmune stuff. It sometimes it can be things of the sorts of just discussing identity and how can we find identity and other sorts of just discussing the pros and cons of social media and other things of the sort. Just different, you know, thought provoking topics of. The, of the current day and age and how we can apply it to our mental health and things of the sort. Hmm. And I'm not, uh, and I'm not necessarily being overly religious on the blog itself because I'm trying to be, you know, open so that technically people can come in and kind of get something out of it. That's great. And so, But I do hint in there some opportunities of like, you know, our creator made us this way, those kinds of things. And hopefully it can be a way for people to come into Christ through that. That's awesome. So
2: where where do people go to find that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, mindsofmeaning.com, I have information on my blog about... uh, The neuroimmune dysfunction Syndrome a direct link there So you can find out Some more information About not only my blog But also uh, The illness that I overcame And came through And you can also Email me at uh, Mindsofmeaning Uh, At gmail.com Again Mindsofmeaning At gmail.com Love to share my story In a variety of settings uh, School assemblies Sports teams Church functions I'm just there I'm I'm willing to Continue to share my story Just hit me up And I'll be happy To come out And talk with you guys Oh man
2: I love that so much I'm, I'm curious For someone listening Who's maybe Never even really Pondered what you're Talking about Yeah They likely have people in their sphere of influence in their family in their churches that they've never even like you're reading the parable in luke 14 right they've never even thought of the idea of like engaging with someone that doesn't look talk act think believe exactly the way that they do Yeah. like what word of wisdom or encouragement or insight would you give to the person that's hearing your story and they're thinking oh you know what i've never even considered Mm -hmm. any of this what would you say to that person
3: yeah um It depends on the context. I think you can kind of take two angles of this. You can kind of take the angle of I want to help this person, you know, maybe potentially, you know, heal or the angle of just trying to, you know, understand that, you know, these people have minds and thoughts and things kind of with the first the first angle. I I don't want to seem like I'm an expert on this topic. And there's a lot of different nebulous statistics and things that (laughs) my doctor's still working through. Hmm. I mean, it's just a miracle that we're able to, you know, God was able to work through a family yeah. friend to get us to that situation. Yeah, no so kidding. I don't want to seem like an authority on the top by any means. But, you know, just even for in that sense, just you can have them go to my uh, go to my blog again, mindsandmeaning.com, and there's a link on the homepage hmm. saying NIDS information so they can go ahead and kind of look there. But then going to the point of just trying to welcome them in, uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing how much I have uh, interacted with people, uh, a wide variety of people and this is mm. something, I mean, even myself, I'm still trying to uh, further in, in my own life too, just just trying to, even though I'm, I'm trying to feel included in many other ways and stuff, and I, I've done a great job of doing that, uh, it's something that I, I've struggled with too, but I mean, just just approaching someone. If, if you know, if if you're in a large social gathering and mm. you have and you have a quick moment and, and you see someone in the corner, I mean, you know, you you actually might be in some social anxieties yourself. So it's right, like, right. And so if you find, and it's just in general, if you just find someone who's alone. Mm-hmm. It's a good way you can make commonalities, maybe make some connections, and, and who knows what comes out of it. Yeah, yeah that's
0: great, that's, man. Dude. Those are good. He's preaching today. Yeah, okay. No He's preaching. Uh, earlier, you you shared your story a little bit of some of the struggles that there were in school growing up. Yeah, was that, was church different for you? Did you find a lot more, or was the church kind of the same as school? It was a struggle. That's a great question. I, For
3: me, it was kind of in my elementary year, uh, the church struggles were more in the junior high and, and mm-hmm. senior high school, hmm. transitioning into being that normal state. In elementary school, uh, my dad worked at a church in Rolling Meadows, and I live in Elgin, so it wasn't okay. like I didn't, I mean, we went there, but I didn't do much outside of just doing the basic Sunday school, so yeah. there really is yeah. nothing I could really base it on, but hmm. just adapting into youth group settings, just um, just. Just that whole accepted thing, and especially because we transitioned churches at that time, too. So that's another factor coming in. So sometimes it's difficult to get on the same page with some people, especially if they have some friendships that have been formed for a while. Hmm. Uh, and I would just say to, to that, I mean, just keep, just keep throwing yourself in those situations. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if there's something you can't connect on, go ahead and, and bring it up. And maybe that could be something uh, that, that it turns into a commonality that could lead to something greater. That's, so, that's
2: really good. All right. So I want to give you the chance... To speak some hope to someone who's listening, who they might be struggling psychologically, physically, whatever it is, they're resonating with what you're talking about when you're saying, I just felt different. I felt like I was out. I felt like... I didn't have a place. I felt like I was wandering. I think a lot of people have felt the weight and sting of that. And we yeah. either pretend that we don't or we just stuff those feelings way deep down. Like, what word of hope or encouragement would you give to someone? They're listening right now. They're driving in their car. They're going for a run. Yeah. And they're like, man, that's me. I feel like I don't have a place. I feel like I'm strange or that I'm not included. Like, what word of hope or encouragement would you give to that person? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh I I think the biggest thing for me is is there's always hope. There's a way that you can go ahead and maybe initiate, you know, if you can't afford or don't want to go through a licensed counselor, at least just have an open ear with someone, someone that can go ahead and just instill some uh, perspective. Uh, there's a lot of times even I'm even just talking I mean I do see a licensed counselor and it's really great in my maturity but even like just talking to my dad mm. you know I, I, I say something and it makes sense in my mind but then as my dad you know hears out loud just how like erroneous the idea is right and, and vice versa <laughs> like like he he said something to me the other day and, and I was like I, dad what are you talking about you know it's <laughs> that kind of thing so it's a back and yeah. forth thing so we all have these feelings we all have these you know situations where uh, w- w- we, we think something in our mind is just going to stay you know deep into us and kind of keep us low so I just say, go ahead, I mean, never be afraid to speak up, and yeah. I think that can help you steer someone That's or good.
2: yourself to get some help. That's so good, man. Austin Anderson, I am so grateful for your heart, for your story. Thank you for sharing so openly. I can't encourage you enough. Go to mindsofmeaning.com or mindsofmeaning at gmail.com if mm-hmm. you want to connect with Austin and learn more about his ministry and his story. I am grateful that you're in the world, man. I appreciate you very much. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much for having for me. My uh, pleasure, yeah. man. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the common good And that. Wackadoo music can only mean one thing. It is the end of the show, but don't go anywhere yet because it's not over yet. We have a segment that we end every show with, whether we should or not, called, (laughs) called Interweb Insanity. Our producers have found stories we've not seen, sound effects we have not heard. Brian and I read them. Sight unseen. It's actually where you also learn how bad Brian and I are at reading, just at in reading. general. Just, yes. just names, just fifth grade reading level words. We struggle every it's time. Struggle. But before we get to that interweb insanity, we have about 14 things we need to tell you about. Brian, why don't you go first?
0: Yes, I have an exclusive offer for our listeners just in time for the holidays. If you buy a set of Giza cotton sheets from my pillow, you'll get the second set for free. Two for one, not only that, but you'll get free shipping. If you add anything else to your order, like MyPillows, uh, mattress toppers, towels, anything, those items will also ship for free. So Common Good listeners can get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, but you have to use the promo code W-Y-L-L. You know, my wife and I, we recently got some of these towels, some of these pillows, some of these sheets. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd encourage you to go buy them. They're legit. I would. I would encourage you. All products have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. So go to MyPillow.com promo code
2: W-Y-L-L or call 1-800-489-0201. I'd also like to say some words. May I? All right, so we had Go Promoters on the show a week or so ago. They also have a whole other peg of that, and that's Go Underground. And uh, here's what's going on. Christian Metal Band Disciple is coming to Q Bar in Glendale Heights, December 6th, on their Love Letter Kill Shot Tour. They're going to be sharing their faith as a part of the show. And one of the things I love about AM 1160, is we're partnering with Go Underground to offer a really special challenge for AM 1160 listeners to invite a friend to come with you to the show for free. Just visit 1160hope.com disciple, and you'll get one free ticket For your friend and the tickets for you Start at just $10 at itickets.com So don't miss that show December 6th at Q Bar with Disciple Go to 1160hope.com Slash Disciple Did you know that since 1964 The
0: Chicago Leadership Prayer Breakfast Uh, It's brought together leaders of all faiths from the business, government, and nonprofit worlds. I did know that. So join over 600 Chicago leaders in prayer with AM 1160, with the breakfast chairs, Marty Ozinga and his brother, Paul. And hear from keynote speaker, Dr. Nicholas Pierce, who is the associate pastor at Apostolic Faith Church at the Chicago Hilton on December the 6th at 7.30 a.m. Tickets for the 2019 Chicago Leadership Prayer Breakfast by Chicago Sunday Evening Club are $100 for individuals or $1,000 for a table, and they are available at Eventbrite or at CSEC.org. That's
2: CSEC.org. Okay, so you just did a bunch of reading. <laughs> I'll kick us off with interweb insanity. Glad Let's for you to do Let's keep this it. insanity going. You ready? Ready. Canada... Woman running late for train called 911 asking for emergency ride service. (laughs) Police in Ontario are reminding the public to avoid dialing 911 to report non emergency situations after a woman called to ask if she could get an emergency ride service to the train that she was running late for. Uh, No, you got the wrong number. This is (laughs) 912. Thought that's what it would be. (laughs) Sounds about right. right. Next one's Florida. (laughs)
0: Canine Joyride. Dog puts car into reverse, drives in circles for nearly an hour. I saw this one. Some Port St. Lucie neighbors watched a dog take the ride of a lifetime. It was stuck inside a car, spinning in reverse for nearly an hour. (laughs) Neighbors say the dog did not seem to mind at all. I figured, (laughs) how the heck did they manage to do that? They said she looked out her window Thursday morning and a police car grabbed her attention. Then I saw another cop car and another cop car. They realized they were all responding to a gray sedan spinning in reverse in the cul-de-sac. The one occupant inside was a black Labrador.
2: (laughs) Who saw Old Yeller? Who cried when Old Yeller got shot at the end? I mean, I did. Uh, Nobody
3: cried when Old Yeller got shot, I'm sure. I cried my eyes
2: out. (laughs) (laughs) That's a weird one. All right. Colorado police officer pelted with ramen packet after making arrest. Okay. Okay, huh. Let's read further. A woman in Pueblo had beef, <laughs> in quotes, <laughs> with an officer when she threw packets of top ramen noodles and other items as he was attempting to take someone into custody. The Pueblo police officer was on patrol when he ran a license plate at a motel and learned it was stolen. After he ran the plate, a woman came out of the motel room and made her way to get in the driver's seat of the car. The officer immediately went to take her into custody. The department said she resisted, and the officer got her to the ground where he tried to place handcuffs on her while he was attempting to place her in custody. The second woman came out of the room and started throwing things at him.
3: Oh, the terrorist they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. Oh, Oh. Mrs.
2: Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. I can't decide if I like Mrs. Doubtfire the movie or or not. Oh, I most certainly do. It just gets sad. It is kind of sad, but it says it's comedy with a message.
0: Okay. Kentucky. (laughs) Pet shop owner says suspects threw stolen guinea pig at (laughs) him. A Kentucky pet store owner says two women stole a pair of guinea guinea, guinea pigs lobbing one of the animals at him during their escape. News outlets report 21-year-old Isabel Isabel Mason and 19-year-old Jamie Pack on Saturday tried to smuggle out the animals from Pet Paradise without paying. Uh, Owner Scott Ganyo told WKYT-TV he confronted the suspect screaming, Give me the big guinea pigs! One suspect rolled down a window and tossed a four-month-old guinea pig named Lucky (laughs) onto the concrete. Uh, The other ran over Ganyo's foot with the car. He said he suffered uh, bruising, but Lucky wasn't injured. The other guinea pig
2: remains missing.
0: (laughs) Now there's something you don't see every day.
2: That's a weird story, man. All right, last but not least, Ohio. NASA denies there are living insect and reptile-like creatures on Mars. NASA has um, so bad with this word vehemently. Did I say did I say that right. Uh, mm-hmm. Vehemently, vehemently, yes. vehemently is the right way to say that. Yes. Oh boy, deny that there are quote insect and reptile like creatures on Mars after a professor at Ohio University made the controversial claim earlier this week. The collective general opinion of the large majority of the scientific community, is that current conditions on the surface of Mars are not suitable for liquid water or complex life. But somewhere out there, something is watching us. There are alien (laughs) forces
1: acting in ways we can't perceive. Are we alone in the
0: universe? Impossible. When you consider the wonders that exist all around us, voodoo priests of Haiti, the Tibetan numerologists of Appalachia, the unsolved mysteries of Unsolved Mysteries.
2: Sometimes I feel like we should know. We're <laughs> just dropped captive by them. <laughs> That's right. There's nothing else we can do about no. it. Well, it is never a dull moment. Uh, it's a good we, Monday right it's there. It's not a bad Monday. Uh, tomorrow we have guests both from Africa and the mountains of Colorado. So you're not going to want to miss tomorrow and every day from 4 to 6 p.m. Here in The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.